Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. She loves looking at us and she don't need no Um, as a smoker, do you not struggle on tour? Because I don't even sing. I just introduce bands when I'm out on the road DJing, yeah. hosting, comparing. And I've just done like a three-week run with Steel Panther, and my throat's fucked. Really? Yeah, but I don't know whether I just smoke too much. Well, my secret is the um, is I roll my own. Okay, with filter? Yeah. Yep. So if I was to have a tailor-made... I mean, I don't know a what it. Made, yeah. I don't know what it is, but it really dries me out. And Have you always smoked roll-ups? Yeah, and but you know, I've kind of gone in between the two, like every yeah. now and then. Um, especially when we came over to the states, I kind of run out of roll-ups. And do they do roll-ups over there? Are they a thing? No, not, not really. You, I mean, the you tobacco. Get the American spirits, right? That's yeah, about as close. Yeah, and um, yeah, honestly, it's just so I, I've kind of done the tailors, and I'm like, oh god. Rape in my throat. Yeah, and the thing is, as well, if I go out on a night out, the rare occasion I do, you know, there's less incentive to sort of like sit down, roll one up. Yep. And then, you know, but if you've got a pack of 20, I mean, I will go through a pack of 20 mm -hmm. within one night on a night out on the piss, you know. Easy, yeah. Easy. I think that's the problem is because I was doing like after parties after all the gigs as well. 
So you're sort of out on the town every night. Yeah. And yeah, it's just also as well, because I'm not really doing anything in the day. I find a lot of the day on tour is obviously, you know, yourself, you probably have interviews, you've yeah. got vocal warm up, sound checks, things like that. When you're a DJ, there's literally nothing to do. No, <laughs> I mean, you, it's smoke. still, it's still common sense. Um, yeah. I mean, I try. Do you do, you do vocal warm ups every day? Or? Yeah, yeah. Like, it begins really in the shower. Okay. Well, um, the start of the day. Start of the day, get it really hot and steamy right. and, and sort of warm up a little bit then. And then uh, head on over to sound check, kind of push it a little bit. And then, you know, an hour leading up to the show. An hour. And then do you do a warm down period after yeah, the gig as well? Yeah, for about yeah. 10 minutes. Okay. You know, just going. Yeah. You know, dropping it back down. Because it's a pretty insane vocal range you've got. Have you always been a singer? Have you always known that you had that ability in you? Honestly, man, like it's been a a self-taught process. Um, I started singing a little bit late on, really. Sort of, uh, I, I dabbled when I was younger. Sort of like 11, 12, 10. Um, it wasn't really until I joined my school band when i was 15 right that i started giving it a go and it was you know i look back now and it's pretty kind of bad but i had the attitude everyone's got to start somewhere though right you do yeah i had the attitude and it's just been a a learning process for all these kind of years i'll just whether it's in the studio just kind of like try and working with different producers are like no i think you can do that i think you could do that and then boom i i end up doing it and then of course we then hit the road and then I'm thinking, okay, I've got to try and I've replicate. Got to replicate this every night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've done so, or, you know, all right. I mean, the good news is all of our songs are at least a semitone down from the original recording. Right. Because we've only got one guitar player. And if you tune everything to E flat, your guitar, it sounds a little bit beefier because the strings are ever so slightly looser. Right. And so that a, helps you out as well. It helps me out as well. And, you know, with our touring schedule, it, it, it really does help. Did you do, was I reading this, something like 67 shows in a row or something like that? It wasn't in a row. We did, I think the actual number was closer to about 57. Okay. Um, but we but had... still a hell of a lot. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> on average, we were doing three to four a row. Yep. Um, I mean, God, yeah, we did, a, we did a couple of five in a rows at the very beginning um, I sang 15 days out of 17 in a row. Fucking hell. Um, a lot of them were shows and, and some of them were like corporate stuff and, and things Good like that. Good money in that, man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'd love to see it, you know. <clears throat> so yeah, it was, it, was, it, was a tough, it was a tough tour. But um, there's, again, there's a lot of steps that a vocalist can kind of take to make their life easier. I mean... With that tour, for example, and a lot of the bigger tours that are over, let's say, four or five weeks, yep. I don't drink um, throughout the whole entire tour. At all? So, yeah. So, Is that tough or is that honestly, fairly it's not. Manageable. It's not. I, I, it's, are you a drinker when you're off the road? Oh, yes. Yeah. yes oh, yes, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so is I live, the first thing you do when you get off tour? Is I'll go back home and hit the pub. You do the, the opposite pub. of what most people do. Most people like crawl in bed. And <laughs> no, I'll, I'll hit the town for yeah. like five days a week. Amazing. Um, Where's home for you now? When you're not on the road, which when is I'm not very on the rare, road, I'm sure at the moment. And if we're going to the UK, I I just go back to my parents in Devon. In Devon, yeah, it's where they live now. They moved from Bristol. Um, is that where you grew up? Yeah. 
what a town i've got a lot of good friends there i've done a lot of shows there i've done that academy room there about six times yeah and it's one of my favorites to visit and to play like well, we did it when was it night before last oh right on oh it was fantastic it's a great room i love that pub opposite as well the old crown yeah we didn't do that one we did swx okay yeah 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 which is by the the the, the police station yeah, yeah the old police station um by rough trade so is bristol like your hometown show yeah yeah it was for me anyway yeah, yeah yeah um so it's a good night electric yeah the atmosphere was just incredible and then what was really emotional for me was playing where did she go right at the end which was a song i wrote when i was 16 in bristol and my old band we used to play that at the croft on stokes croft i know the croft well yeah yeah um before it years ago you know yeah and uh, yeah, it was pretty emotional. And there was faces in the crowd that had gone to that show wow. and those, those gigs that we were playing. So it was a real, ooh, it was just a real sense of homecoming and, and achievement considering how large the crowd was. It, was. it was great, really inspiring. I mean, I want to say congratulations on the success that you're enjoying and have been for a while now because I think you're one of those bands that have really put in the work. Yeah. And it's obviously not come overnight. It's not been handed to you. And um, I guess, first of all, we should talk about maybe radio, the state of radio within the UK. Um, I worked on Kareng Radio for five years when that was in Birmingham here. And it was still like an FM station. And then mm. when that closed down, I sort of left radio and I've been doing various other bits and bobs since. But I found that in recent times, particularly for bands like yourself, a lot of my friends and bands that I used to play on Kareng a lot as well, bands like, say, Hailstorm. Oh, yeah. um, Airborne, The Darkness, Steel Panther. Mm -hmm. I'd put you in with those guys in the sense that it's probably hard for bands like all of you to get on Radio 1 because it's quote-unquote too retro for that station. And obviously when you're a young band coming up, unless you're getting played on Radio 1, it's real hard to, to break big, isn't it? And so you almost have to just hit the clubs and build up that live audience and tour and help word of mouth do the work for you. You're right. You're absolutely right. I think the most frustrating part for us is... Uh, the same songs that were denied by Radio 1, Kiss This, Put Your Money On Me, and Could Have Been Me, all went to the United States and France and Europe, now Australia, and, and people just latched onto it straight yeah. away and was like, this is, this is brilliant. Um, well, they're all huge, catchy, digestible, like, pop songs, aren't mm. they? Of course, they're rock and roll, but, you know, they're not going to come on the radio and encourage people to switch the station do you know mm. what i mean it's not like you're coming out like slayer out of the speakers yeah well i think that's you know again it's been really kind of it's definitely been fuel to the fire in terms of it like has, getting up and being like look you know it's, it's another thing that we want to achieve we've and got something keep, to prove keeps us super drive. hungry keeps us super hungry in the united kingdom um but the funny thing is when could have been me went top five in the united states um, the UK label was sort of like, what, what, what's going on? What's going on? And the pluggers who were who had who had previously shopped those songs to Radio One a couple of years before were like, yeah, but surely it's a it's a remix. You know, this is a this is a re-recording, right? And my manager was like, no, no. exactly the same song. It's exactly the yeah. same song, exactly the same production, yeah. same mixer, everything. And they were they were pretty gobsmacked. Um, Honestly, with, with and our... And that's not necessarily them not doing their job. No. It's just the unwillingness of certain... Ra and it's not just Radio 1, but I do think that it's fucking hard for rock and roll bands in the UK to get exposure, isn't it? Well, yes and, yes and no. It's, 
I think with us was, I think our name was slightly tarnished. We were on a label that didn't really want us. Right. Our managers at the time managed to sort of, well, basically what happened, we were on a record label called Future Records, which was Gary Barlow's label that was given to him from Universal. Okay. And me and Ad signed with them. We recorded a majority of Everybody Wants. We had Jed and Geth in the band. And yeah, it just suddenly went under. The plug got pulled out on it. So our manager at the time was just like, you know, what am I going to do? He had a band called The Vamps. Yeah, yeah. Who everybody wanted. They were really fresh and unsigned. And th we ended up basically becoming an underhand sort of like second fiddle shake, almost, yeah. basically like saying, look, you can have the vamps, but we've also got this band, the struts, you know, I mean, the album's great. The songs are great. So, you know, we'd like to, to sort of go through the motions and basically put out the album everybody wants, which they did. But I think with that, we didn't know anyone at the label. Um, we, we didn't really have any champions there. Yeah. Um, and it's a recurring theme and story that is with a lot of bands I speak to mm. um, is the, I guess, the lack of comprehension with what to do with certain bands on these labels. Like, where do we Which is weird because why did they sign them in the first place? I, I can, that's <laughs> why I'm saying I understand with us because we were a bargain deal. Yeah. And I think our name had been floating around um, the offices of, you know, Radio 2, Radio 6, um, Radio One for for a few years, and all three of those singles, like within the same year, were were being taken and 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 ultimately, you know, denied from yeah. time and time again. So, when it came to going to the United States, it was almost like the best thing that we could do, because some. Well, that's also a lot of bands' dreams, isn't it? Is once you conquer the UK, it's like the holy grail is America. You've almost done it in reverse. We have. We've done <laughs> it the completely wrong way round, but. It was it was the right thing to do, and some people have said to me, "Well, do you think you could have gained the amount of success that you've got now if you would have just stuck at it in the United Kingdom?" And I just don't think that's simply true. I think we were kind of like the kid in the playground who had you know chicken pox that no one really wanted to touch, and, yeah. and I think the best thing for us to do was to go away, and you know, go to this huge, massive market which is the United States of America and, and use it as a completely clean slate. Uh, with, and, and the band, we would come with a fresh show, fresh ideas, fresh enthusiasm. I mean, God, the moment we signed with Interscope, it was just like night and day. Um, and they were invested in you, were they? And they excited were. to have you. And, and they still are, you know. I mean, it has been, you know, we're not the most profitable act. You know, we, we, we definitely haven't had any huge top 40 you know, pop station smashes. Um, but we've definitely gone about it the old fashioned way and they've understood that, that they've all seen us live. They know yeah. that seeing is believing with the struts and they were just like, look, let's just get you out there, record the best music possible and boom, boom, boom. That's what we've been doing for, we, you know, we've been touring pretty much for four years straight all across the world and America. And playing some huge shows. Um, mm. I guess, first of all, before we get more into the touring side, for you growing up as a kid, who were the performers that left a mark on you? Oh, God. I mean, well, first of all, it would have been my dad. Was he a singer, was he? He's a singer-songwriter, gospel right, guy. Right. So, you know, I used to go to church every Sunday until I was about 16. And 
all the way through that, my first experience of live music with a live band would have been at church and to sort of like see my dad lead the worship and be like, you know, have this unshakable like faith and uh, sincerity when he sings. Is so almost like, coming from that little Richard kind of preacher-esque. In a way, it definitely rubbed off. Yeah. It definitely rubbed off because we would travel around all around the world, including America and Australia, and there would be certain preachers you know because this is like a pentecostal church you know similar to um it, it was probably a little bit more white yeah than it would to be to sort of like that whole little richard like super black like um shouting screaming i mean there was that but it was it was a little bit more white you know than uh those kind of uh churches that you saw like in the blues brothers Ex for yeah, example yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a slightly tamed version of that but we would get certain people who would have that kind of charisma and I remember they did they did grab me and then a little bit later on you know I started getting into Michael Jackson that was a big big life-changing moment for me because first and foremost I wanted to be a, a dancer right I didn't know better than he singing wasn't really a thing I was very really interested in you know I didn't think I had it in me and uh, I remember making a conscious decision to basically study um, the likes of him and then later on James Brown watching all of that and sort of be inspired and basically spending hours and hours in the mirror um, just emulating, copying, yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Honing and, your chops. and Yeah, and then a little bit later on I would, you know, I discovered rock and roll through, you know, there was, there was Jet and the Darkness that came out when I was... 14, 15. How old are you? 30. 30. So I'm 33 in a couple of weeks, so pretty much the same age. Mm -hmm. And that around the turn of the uh, millennium was probably the last great time it was. for guitar music, wasn't it? You had the hives, the white stripes, white stripes, strokes, vines, darkness, obviously. Yeah, I mean, the darkness for me... And that was all in the charts, wasn't it? And that it was, was on Radio 1 and it was popular music. Yeah, and, you know, the darkness especially for me was the band that really connected with me. I was like, because it ticked all my boxes. It was like, it was individual, it was fun, it was, it was very great live uh, music as well. Yep. Like when, when I used to just watch the, the live performances and and download them illegally on uh what was it kazar <laughs> god that's yeah, how yeah, long yeah. ago it was you know and i i just watched them and 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 larger than life wasn't it and also unashamedly and proudly british yes which is which what is really connected you guys have continued it, yeah because at the time there was this i think england was kind of going through this real identity crisis it was anyway with um a lot of people that I knew round about my age who were into Green Day and Blink-182 and... And then later on, obviously, um, Kings of Leon and yeah, The Strokes. It was, it was just all very Americanized, wasn't it? Super American, man. And I just, I was just like, what what the fuck is going on? You know, I mean, like, we're English. Like, we've, we, we've produced some of the world's greatest bands. Um, you know, why can't we sort of be proud of where we are? Like... Why are kids got to sort of get bands together and start writing about, you know, high schools and jocks and yeah, all this yeah, stuff? Yeah, it's yeah. like you don't fucking live in that. Yeah. You know, don't don't kid yourself. Um, 
and when the darkness came and then and the libertines as well were around yeah. about the same era and, and totally different opposite ends of the spectrum musically but they both had this thing that they were sort of so quintessentially english it kind of really inspired me to um you know dig deep into that and then i found queen who were also very proud to, to, to be you know english i mean god i mean how much more english do you want to get yep. um with songs like glazing on a sunday afternoon seaside rendezvous um the millionaire waltz you know they, these were songs that were like really connecting with me and um it's something that i've i've carried all the way through my musical journey and it was a turning point for you guys when you got that big show with the stones in paris was that one of those moments where you felt like the tides were it would have been shifting in a different direction and what a huge honor yeah that, and a thrill and a joy that must have been to do that it was brilliant i mean to put it into a sort of like time scale when that show was uh given to us we was had, that through an agent was it through management was it just through like them being um, aware of you or? i think it's just a mixture of, of of a lot of different things we stars aligned we were still on um virgin you know the album had you know by by deal gone out with no publicity or anything so no yeah. one really knew about it we'd gone on this tour in the united kingdom where we were playing all sorts of venues pretty good you know like three four hundred caps selling out um and then we eventually carried on um we we went to to paris and france at where we were being played on the radio and we were doing 800 capacity all the way through uh, france selling out shows came back to the united kingdom did a few more dates and it was just we were really deflated it was like we really didn't know what was happening the option for our record deal was coming up you know which inevitably we would be dropped yeah our management at the time was sort of scratching their heads and being like, you know, maybe maybe you need to change your sound, change your look, you know, stop wearing the things that you wear. It's just making you harder to sell and the music's even harder to sell because, you know, we, we've already advised you to maybe go a bit more pop, you know, like the Vamps or you know whoever and you so you had all of those whispers in your ear saying, yeah, 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 all turn the it time. down, change it up. And we kept going and going and then we ended up in Scunthorpe at the Lincolnshire Imp, which is a pub. And we were upstairs and it was kind of like the management again were just sort of saying, hey, do you want to do some like pop covers with this like YouTuber and all this shit? And we were, just like, we were just like, what the fuck is going on? Soul destroying, right? And we were just like, what are we doing? And then that's when we got the call that... Um, a support band who were opening up for the stones in paris had dropped out two weeks to go before the show and because we had been really generating some heat in in france someone had seen us and i think they put us forward thank god wow and that was it we then ended up doing it and pretty much from that show not only people are still talking about it like five years later which is incredible but that was really used as fuel when we basically after that shortly decided to change management we didn't have a label and we ended up getting some fantastic managers in uh the united states right who used the fact that none of our songs have been played on uk radio as a very good thing 
Because you were a fresh band we for all fresh. intents and purposes. Yeah. So we were fresh according to all these labels. Yeah. And uh, they basically took the songs and the hype that we just, you know, supported the Stones, took that, shopped it around to all of the stations before we got signed and could have been me started going up the charts at alternative right radio and then bang, we had like this bidding war with these labels and then, you know, the rest has been history for the last four years. That's amazing, man. So kind of really right place, right time and but just an just, organic evolution pushing through as well yeah there were so many times where we probably could have packed it in i mean or as you say toned it down changed it up i don't sold think out, i don't think i would have done that. that wouldn't have happened i don't You'd think i would have done that otherwise we would have done that packed up and gone home we would have done that two three years prior yeah um and you know to be honest it's still something that i have to fight for even now i mean i think people on the surface get excited about this band and they look at it and they see my potential as a vocalist. They hear the songs. They they love what I do on stage. And there's a lot to buy into. And I think when people start to kind of really work alongside it, it's kind of very easy to start picking it apart a little bit. A little bit unnecessarily as well. Like, mm, you know, that the last single didn't do as well as we, we probably imagined. Is it because, you know, the makeup? Yeah. Is it because of uh, what you're doing live or is it is it the sound? Is it your voice? Is it the way you sing? How can you know, we make it more normal? Yeah, and yeah. And it's, you know, not, don't get me wrong. It's something that I don't have to like completely fight for as much as I used to like seven, eight years ago. I mean, I'm surrounded now by a lot of people who from day to day see what I do, believe in it, um, including the label. So, but it's still something that I don't think you ever stop fighting for being an individual or uh, being true to yourself. I think that's indicative of the, the culture and the world that we're living in now more than ever before as well. There's the individual is dying out. And you look at cinema and actors that are now the most popular, say, British actors, whereas when we were growing up, it would have been these fairly working class, distinct characters, people like Gary Oldman and Tim Roth and actors like that. And now you have like Benedict Cumberbatch and... You know, there are a lot more, uh, and Tom Hiddleston and these very, like, stage school cut. And it does seem to me that the individual in music, in cinema, in, in even in day-to-day -day life is being mm. stripped away because it's almost like this homogenized, monotonous culture. Well, I think people, people just don't seem to, want ha to be ha have right? the patience to kind of look beyond surface level. Um, or, or, or that's kind of like what we've been told anyway. I, I See, I disagree. I still think that there are plenty of people that listen to albums from start to finish. I, I think there are a lot of people that still go through booklets and they want to read the lyrics as they, as they listen to the music. I, I refuse to believe that um, music is just purely, you know, one single here and one single there and and that's it you know especially for bands yeah i mean you're, you're talking about a collective of a bunch of musicians who, who create music together for the most part and how can that not have depth you know so i think as long as bands keep uh being formed and they're making music with each other there's always going to be depth to it and they always should be i think the closest thing to that, I think, is probably, you know, like a band like the 1975, where 
you know, they're not just making singles. They they make these very gorgeous, self-indulgent albums, which, you know, I, I mean, the music's very, very different from us, but I think we carry the same kind of like ethos. Yep. Where we, we want to make great albums as well. Um, and they're kind of like living proof that there is an audience out there who are reading into lyrics, who are going to see the shows, who are listening to the albums in their entirety, you know, and, and, and so on. I was the first person in the UK to play them on the radio. I played their single In The City. Oh, really? And the first time I heard it, I was like, this is a very distinct, unique, original sounding band. Mm. And in that time, that was, say, five years ago now, they're headlining Reading. Mm. And they've had a rather incredible ascent, haven't they? Yeah. So I guess that is proof in point that but, I mean, but the then again, is out there. And you could argue as well that, you know, I mean, they were heavily backed by enemy yeah uh, heavily backed by radio one still are um and they're very much like a radio one band um i can only i can only think in, and speculate if we would have had the kind of same attention you know where where would we be right now but i i also believe that things happen for a reason i really believe that and i truly believe that this band is unconventional in every sense of the word i mean from the way it was founded to the way we've ended up going to america first yeah before sort of like say conquering the united kingdom i mean our road to what we would deem success is also going to be as conventional as the as the group itself or as unconventional you mean yeah, yeah, yeah. as unconventional yeah. sorry yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. So um, I've been on tour, forgot about it. No, no, yeah. don't you worry. Don't You're a very eloquent man, dude. Don't worry about one word. Um, let's talk about, I guess, because there's very few bands, I think, nowadays that could open up for Motley Crue and The Who as seamlessly. And um, let's first of all, I guess, talk about Motley Crue. Mm -hmm. That was a hand-picked personal invitation, right? It was, yeah. Um, and a very significant tour to be on, obviously the final tour. So they could have, you know, I'm sure they were getting chunks taken out of them from every band left right and center to want to mm. be on that bill they it was chose great. you guys i mean nikki nikki six um had been a fan ever since could have been me got on the radio and uh before we even came um so yeah i think he i think we were pretty much his first pick as far as i yeah i can understand and they were great shows man like they were real baptism of fire i mean it had been a while since we had um done arenas i think the, the the time that we did before that would have been the stones and then we did an arena tour with mcfly really yeah wow. yeah we, we did two arena tours with mcfly you know i i can say that we're the only band in history to support mcfly and the and rolling what? stones and motley crew and guns and roses and the killers and yeah the foo fighters you know um and you did open up for the who as well right yeah yeah i mean yeah, that was such a broad I was in Church. Quebec, Quebec in uh, Canada, and that was that was fantastic. That was really cool. Got to meet them as well and, and say hello to them. And Roger Daltrey is surprisingly small, isn't he, for a he man is. with such an incredibly huge voice? Mm. And because you grow up watching like Woodstock footage and things like that, and seeing him with all the hair, you think he's going to be this larger than life rock star. And then you meet him, and he's just this kind of like cheeky, cheeky short little cockney, little cockney like, guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right, he's great, right. isn't he? He's like, I like you guys. Like, I can't hear anyone because I've got my earpiece <laughs> in at the moment. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. What are you reckoning to the dirt? Have you had a little taste of the um, 
the film other, saw, other than the trailer that's out have no you, i saw the trailer no? um you reckon it'll be good you reckon they'll do it justice you know man like after bohemian rhapsody i think it will because i remember seeing bohemian rhapsody trailer and i thought oh man this looks so geez and and i carried that on and then i went to see it in the cinema and it was it was cheese in places, you know, and it needs. They certainly um, toned down some of the more adult themes. Oh, of course, and they need they? to. And I'm yeah. glad I'm glad they did. I, I was kind of like, oh, I want to see the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and I'd preferred it to be a bit more like the Ray Charles film. Yep. you know, it was a bit more raw. And the Walk the Line movie as well was yeah. very unashamed about that content, um, wasn't it? But Queen, Queen are, are are kind of like beyond that. Yeah. Um, I mean, their audience is beyond that. And they're I, an institution, aren't they? They really are a, like the royal family. Like, yeah. no pun intended, obviously, on the name, but they are of that lineage of British culture that's so inescapable. Yeah. And I, I'm just, you know, like I said, I, I went to see it and I was kind of just like a bit blown away. I mean, the, the first scene and the last scene leading up to Live Aid, I thought was extremely powerful. And yes, the timeline was completely fucked up. You know, there <laughs> yeah, were yeah. so many things that just didn't happen. But what they wanted to achieve, which is what I guess was to remind people the power of, of their music and how great it was and how great Freddie was, I think they achieved that. Um, you know, some of the scenes I said are, are so funny and contrived, like when they're writing, like another one bites the dust, you know, and they're fighting, but it's all metaphorical. When you look at it deeply, I mean, at that time, they well, were... Well, that's, that's movie making, isn't it? That's cinema. Yes. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what I got away from it. I was kind of like, you know what? It doesn't have to be like 100% truth. I mean, it just has to convey the message and the point that they want to bring across. One thing that made me laugh was how they kind of deemed Freddy to be the bad guy. Yeah. You know, that was quite the funny. The only guy that's not here to defend himself. Well, and, you know, when, <laughs> when he goes off and does his solo album, I mean, Roger Taylor had done three or four solo albums before that point. And, yeah. and I'm sure the rest of the guys had done other stuff outside of Queen. And Freddie was actually the last guy to do something outside of Queen. And it made me laugh how it was just kind of like he was the guy that was going to break everything up. And he was the one who was partying too hard all the time. I mean, that, you know, it just goes to show, do not leave your legacy in the hands of the drummer and your guitar player That's you know, it. because it will be um, <laughs> bent towards their will you know it would have been interesting to have seen Sasha Baron Cohen in that role um, I it think would've. he would have absolutely smashed it but I also think the guy that they had I thought Rami was, was brilliant spectacular wasn't he Rami was good um, I think the film should have been made in two halves you know i should have been the early freddy there you go and then rami should have been the one with the with uh, you know the later when he he fully comes out and 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 whatnot now I, I mean i'm joking but um i thought by the time it got halfway through i was just like oh my god he's 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 really brilliant he's really good and um i'm glad he just didn't copy him he, yeah he he did embody him and it just sort of had this ghostly presence about him i thought which was great and i think you know a lot of people are agreeing with me hence why he's winning so many awards for it for his performance in particular so i thought it was good 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The band formed in Derby, right? So are you familiar with the band Lost Alone? Do you know those oh, guys? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know Stephen. Stephen is a dear friend of mine, and he is, you know, probably... Maybe you'll contend this, but one of the world's, if not the world's greatest Queen fan. Like, he fucking absolutely adores Yeah, him. me and him um, do Queen geek outs. Did you sort of come up together then on the circuits in Derby? And No, they were kind of... I think by the time we were coming up, they had put out the I'm a UFO in the City. Is yeah, that the album? the first album, yeah. Or is second. that their first album? I know the Shapes of Screams is the first, right? So I'm yeah. in UFOs too. I wasn't familiar with it. I remember moving to Derby and everyone's talking about this band called Lost Alone because I wasn't really into the emo scene, you know, yeah. which I, I think they, they, they kind s- of lend themselves to it slightly. They do, and I think that was probably what ultimately stopped them from ever becoming a rock band that adults could enjoy because yeah. I think all Stephen ever wanted to be was in a rock band, but because of the association with the likes of Paramore and My Chemical Romance and those tours that they went on, mm. I think that very much placed them in that Kerrang world, and they, yeah. were ne- they were never quite able to escape or transcend. But the Love Will Eat You Alive, I thought was a great song. Um, but yeah, they they were kind of they were. I think they were on the descent. A, a gentle descent by the time we were coming up and yeah. started gigging like hard. I remember we did one show with them and Catfish were on the bill, us, Lost Alone and a few other bands. I mean, you know, Catfish were on the up. We were kind of on the up. And um, I think I think a few weeks after that, they broke up. Right. So um, it was like ships in the night. I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, which is sad, but I'm glad that he's still making music. Yeah, he seems to be busy all the time. He's all always in time. Nashville and all the time, yeah. writing I mean, for all these songwriters out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe I'll see him. I might be moving to Nashville this year. So yeah? We'll see. How have you guys recorded the two albums up until now? Have you been in a specific studio for an extended period of time working in that way? Or have you just been trying to cram in recording sessions in between all these insane tours that you're doing and doing it that way, like piecemeal, bit by bit? Basically the latter. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, don't well, that's get, quite astounding what you've managed to. Yeah, don't get me wrong. We would never want to do it. And I hated doing it. Um, but there is something to be said about the two albums have been made like that. And I'm kind of not nervous, but interested, interested to see if we did give, well, were given three months, you know, in a studio with a producer and an engineer to kind of build tracks up from the ground up in a specific time and place, would we be able to create the same caliber of quality with, with the songs? Is it the pressure that gives us that extra bit of spunk, you know, and, and makes us go that extra mile because we're literally looking at the clock going, shit, we've got, we've got two days out of four and we've got to jump back out on the road. We need a fucking song. Yeah. And that is how 90% of the album was made, both of them. So I'm I'm not sure. I mean, are you going to do album three in the way that you haven't yet done? We we or do don't not know. know at this stage. At this stage, I cannot imagine us having three months straight off ever. <laughs> Honestly, I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, especially now because United States is is what it is. We've you know we've done pretty well there. Now Australia very recently now is really getting behind us. Right. Europe and England now are really catching. So it's like, all right, Another well. 18 months on the road. We might, we might, <laughs> you know, we might be able to sort of tone down ever so slightly in America, but there's all these different parts of the world now which we need to go to. And we need to capitalize on that opportunity. I'm not sure, man. I'm not sure. I think we would all love that to sort of head to a studio and, and, and live and breathe the music for quite a while. I'm, I just don't, I'm not convinced it's going to happen. I think the only thing that we can do up until then, especially with this year while we're touring the, the, the record, is maybe having like a week or so there and trying to write some music. I mean, we're, we're meant to be doing it in April. Really? And we organized it, what, a month ago? <laughs> and this, this time frame, which we told everyone we were going to be working, is now being ever so slowly filled up with a private show here, private show there, da, da 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 another opportunity, another great idea. You know, it's at one point, I think we're going to have to say like, whoa, stop. But you know, if we were to write this year, it would be pure luxury. It, it, it's not a necessity. It's not a necessity. That's what I'm trying to say. It's like, we're still touring this album. There's still a lot of life in it. There's still, oh, a, lot yeah. of, there's a lot of markets that are still catching on. So, uh, can I ask you about one song in particular, Somebody New? Mm -hmm. One of the most bittersweet, beautiful, heartbreaking songs I've heard in many years. Uh, it really hit me at a time when I was going through certain emotions that the song touches on and it just fucking hit me like a ton of bricks. Beautiful song. I gather you've been in a long-term relationship for a long time, mm -hmm. so maybe that isn't directly inspired or affected by your experiences, but tell me about that song and the, I guess, the story within if you don't mind divulging some well, of the inspiration behind it. The funny thing is, you know, just to break the fantasy, I wrote the chorus on the toilet. There you go. You know, which um, happens. Yeah. That, you know, sometimes you Some just, people say that's some of the most inspired times is showering and shitting. It does. Like, showering, <laughs> shitting, driving, uh, you know, walking. I mean, the, the, there are times when you kind of switch off and you're not in front of the instruments that suddenly something happens. So... I mean, we were in a house in LA and we were sort of doing one of these very rare um, sort of like seven, eight day 
uh, writing sprees where we we got together as a band, which is something that we hadn't done, all four of us. And we were we were touring around with like three or four ideas at the time. And I just you know I went up to take a toilet break, and I just remember having the melody and the whole entire chorus with the lyric just came to me very quickly and I just wrote it down on my mobile phone, quickly sang into it and it was like, that was it. I mean, I was just so happy because when it happens, it happens, you can't force it. And I just knew like, wow, I've just come up with a very strong chorus and a very clear lyric which is so self-explanatory yeah. with saying so little. So I ran downstairs and I literally said to everyone, they were all playing the previous idea and I just said, stop, 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 stop. Listen to this. Sat down, I didn't even know what chords I was really gonna play, but I just sort of played the first chords that kind of flew into my mind and uh, yeah, sang it. And then everyone was like, yeah, this is, this is good. And then three minutes later, I went to what I thought would be a good verse and then started going, nah, nah, you know, singing nonsense. And then we, we worked out probably in about the song in about 20 minutes, 20 minutes. And the arrangement sort of took a little bit longer, but the general basis of it like happened so quickly. And you know, when it just feels like it's been written before and it's so effortless yeah. that it just comes. But the, the actual, um, the lyric- that's, that's the proof to me that music is magic as well. Like mm. sometimes you just get touched, don't you? And possessed by this creative energy. Yeah. And it just comes from nowhere. And it's, it's when the songs are that easy and seamless and simple to, yeah. to it's write. When you know you've got you know, like something. There's something going on here in the universe. Exactly, there's something definitely like happening. And then, um, the, you know, the lyric itself, I mean, I could kind of draw from personal experience, but you know, I tend to not really draw from that. I kind of go with what the idea is serving. You know, I'm serving the song. I, I tend not to kind of like be really gushy and, and put so much of my personal story into it. I'm more of an escapist, but I know that it definitely did connect with other people in the band. And I know that, you know, Adam, for instance, was going through something which was along those lines and and I remember that you know he he was saying you know we we need to kind of write these verses um as simply as possible and 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 make it super relatable so you know I remember just it was if you could just picture this me just pacing up and down just saying these lyrics out loud and we all had this piece of paper and then it was just, yeah, it was about two or three hours where we, we, we finished the, the verse lyric and then it was it. Love it. Would that be a single or is that like a too slow number for... I would love it to be a single. It's such a strong song, man. Yeah, I mean, I'd love it to. Um, it's quite, it's kind of hard. Competition is so thick on the yeah. Struts albums, you know. Oh yeah, because every single one's a banger. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we, we, you know, we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot, but I think if it was, if I had my way... I'd love to see that have its own stage to stand on in terms of the public arena. And I'd like to have it, you know, have its own time of day. Um, but it's definitely a fan favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like that one as well. I really like that one. Is this one making it into the set? This is perhaps an unusual one to pick on to talk about, but that's probably why I want to do. I do it so well. That's just got a real... 
funk kind of yeah. groove and and it's got attitude and swagger i'm trying yeah. to avoid the word a real strut, strut to it but <laughs> you know what it i'm is, saying it is it is <laughs> um that one's going to be entering probably later on this year what we're doing now is um the songs that we immediately knew that we had to do yeah like the singles um along with like prima donna somebody new ashes we wanted to really get that one in there i do it so well we'll probably make it in there but the um how'd you go about writing a track oh, like that that was weird because it's an unusual song isn't it and it was done in such an unusual way we were uh, me and ads were writing with a uh, with a producer and um god we had so many ideas it, it, it was called red boots and i had this i had this idea about singing singing a song about these magical shoes that make you dance when you put them on like the film the red shoes yeah i yes <clears throat> which is why at the very beginning you've got the we actually took a um an audio from a uh a uh what's his name um uh the guy who was in a mary poppins dick van dyke Dick van dyke yeah we had a dick van dyke um sketch where he was dancing we used that at the very beginning Brilliant. because it was all meant to be about dancing red shoes and we kept it in obviously when we changed the subject matter and um we had like the the metering for the for the chorus, but it was just yeah, it was red shoes, see me in my red boots, red boots, da, 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 and it just wasn't working. But the verse, like that kind of weird rappy thing, Spoke, it's like Blondie Rapture style almost. Yeah, yeah like, like that came about where we had this really cool funky shit, and Adam had this, it was very like, you know, just super sparse and 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 super cool. And we couldn't really figure out a singy melody. Yeah. And then I was, I remember we were, I was super stoned and I was just like, look, and I was let out on the sofa and I said, just give me the mic. And they, they, the producer put the mic over my head and I, and I led down and the first few lines of me just freestyling. Are they know? really? Brilliant. I've been talking shit almost every single day. Yeah. to find the pocket and get into yeah, it and then, and then we, everyone was like and I, I did it for a joke and i started laughing like pretty like, soon after and everyone was saying that was fucking great and i was like really and then i carried on just going and then we had the metering and then we sort of like constructed it and and and, and started to write like the lyric on top of that yeah yeah um, fascinating man yeah it's I a mean, great track it's so unusual and it's that's, so weird. that's why it really stands out to me and the chorus i think hits all the more harder for the point of difference and you know you're kind of really jumping off into the deep end when that drops aren't you yeah the chorus for me is it reminds me of my youth it reminds me of a band i loved called electric six of course love them and it has that yep it has that really uh dick valentine like lyric you know like um you're my holy, you're my holy, you're my holy grail. I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a five-star hotel. You know, don't I do... I mean, he could sing that. You know, yeah. that band could do that. Um, but yeah, it's a real sort of like, boom, like hits you right in the face. I do love it, yeah. What's the, the relationship between yourself and Adam? Was that a very kind of um, meeting of minds and love at first sight scenario as friends, as creative partners when you first met? Was it, the sparks there or is it something you sort of honed and developed over all these experiences and I think I think the friendship was been... I think the friendship was definitely there. I think on a creative level when we first met we were in slightly different places. Um you know f I mean ironically 
he was coming from a school musically which was everything that you know I didn't particularly enjoy you know I'm talking about like pop punk I'm talking about you know Green Day and etc etc um and the band that he was in at the time when I met him was very much of that and I was kind of you know I I I knew that he he really wanted to carry on doing music and his band around him were really not <clears throat> into broadening you know exploring new avenues and when i mean that i mean sort of going down the rabbit hole that i was about to lead adam down for instance yeah and um you know but where credit's due adam was kind of like look you know you know since we met you know i started um listening to like these kind of stuff he he started getting into slade and you know i remember the first time i fucking love slade <laughs> i came up and um me and his mum got on really well and she was you know we, i remember talking to her about oh my god what's going on a, the ghost of it's either a lock-in or a break-in yeah and uh i came on down and um yeah i sort of talking to his mum and obviously like ads was there and yeah we were like talking about all these old bands like sweet and what the hoople and 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 our manager at the time was was also talking about that. And uh, yeah, from then we kind of like grew, you know. It was it was kind of it was it, in a sense it kind of was the the perfect marriage because he was growing like musically in terms of like things that he was sort of like opening himself up to, and for the first time I was exploring the uh the the realms of sort of like writing songs by myself and with someone else because up until that point i hadn't really picked up instruments and sort of like wrote things from scratch i was very much like a top liner lyricist that would you know sing over like my previous band's riffs and chord progressions so we were kind of like meeting in the middle where we were both were in this sort of like very important stage where we were really kind of pushing ourselves to to evolve musically and as songwriters as well and then you know from that i mean it's it's pretty hard not to shake off that bond i mean we've gone through so much with each other i mean we we've we've been working with each other for 10 years you know i mean it's it's kind of hard to kind of nothing can really shake that no you know, and, and and things have, I mean, there, there has been like slight tensions, but only like stupid stuff, you know, only stupid stuff. And, and, and at the end of the day, I mean, what kind of band doesn't have slight tensions? You know, I mean, it, it's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think from that comes the magic, isn't it? A lot of yeah. the time. Creative tension. Yeah, but it's good. I mean, it's not really, I mean, God, I mean, we've never really like fought, you know, I mean, we've never said things that we've kind of like immediately regretted you know or, or sort of ever got physical you know it's it's never been about that um we've always been sort of very candid with each other you know and i feel like we can both talk to each other quite honestly and, and that's with all the group you know we, we're not one of those bands that kind of pent up and up and up um and you know as as, as the singer of the band and the oldest member as well, I've kind of naturally fell into 
kind of like this position of, you know, I kind of have to make some of the more harder decisions because at the end of the day, it's kind of like I'm the I'm the I'm the guy fronting the whole project and 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 the company, so to speak. And uh, as long as kind of like I'm doing my job to the best of my ability, I feel like I can be respected, and and they listen to me, and I listen I listen to them. Hence, why you know we're going out on tour. I mean, it speaks volumes, I think, to them as individuals when they're 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 going out and having fun while they're on tour and you know don't get me wrong i'd love to don't i'd love to do what i used to do and go out and fucking blow lines till five o'clock in the morning (laughs) and and try and do it all again the next night but it's something that i can't sustain and um yes it's probably more strict than than i should be but that's the way that i like to operate because i see the show as the most important thing and it's it's kind of like this, I don't want to say leader because it's not really that, but to, from someone from the outside, it is. But it's something that I've had to kind of grow into and step into um, myself. And, and I think uh, the other guys kind of like really respect that. And everyone kind of knows it. Um, I think when everybody knows their role and everybody's comfortable, mm. then there isn't really any danger of those fallouts that risk a band's future if it's everybody's true. on the same page i think that's all that kind of you need to be a working successful yeah and i'm kind outfit. of i'm of that ethos like you know you want to you want to increase your position or like go up then you got to put in the work yeah you know it's it's like anything it's like um they all understand that you know i'm the guy doing most of the interviews i mean we're just not that band that if I'm ill and I send in the other guys, the radio station doesn't want to talk to them. It's not their fault. It's not my fault. It's just the way it is. Yeah. And everyone understands that. And it's not like me saying, like... I'm the star. I'm the fucking yeah. star. I'm the main spectacle. It's, it's not that. It's just something that people, again, view on a surface level and, and approach it like that. But everyone recognizes that you know and everyone recognizes sometimes i get slightly frustrated and and whatnot but it it, it enables me to to make big decisions based on kind of like the extra work that i put in and everyone respects that and 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 um and i'm very forward with it i'm very clear with it you know it's like if anyone sort of gets a little bit uppity you know i'm very quick to remind people like well you know, this is the way it is. This isn't even something that we've consciously constructed. This is just the way it is. And we've got and, to roll with it. And we have to roll with it and we have to make this work because we all want the same thing. So how the fuck are we going to make this work? You know, so that's the way. It, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Nice. Well, dude, it's been a really good chat, man. Thank you for giving up your time. Mm. Um, and uh, thank you for hanging out. Uh, I look forward to the show tonight. Final story if we can end on is um just as a obviously a queen fan getting to play to huge crowds with foo fighters and getting to sing queen with the foo fighters you did under pressure with them right yeah how was that oh it's fantastic so the um how that came about was we me and adam did a couple of songs with um taylor hawkins is uh sort of like covers band called chevy metal yeah 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 
And uh, he was my first ever interview. Was really? Taylor, Taylor Hawkins? Oh, yeah. he's lovely isn't on he? the phone, and I was shitting myself so much. It was a great interview, but I sounded so nervous because over the phone. So I re-recorded my questions. Really? And, and kept his answers, but re-recorded, so I sounded a bit more wow. confident. And because I was literally like, oh, it's my first ever interview, shitting myself. Anyway, That's brilliant. He's a really good guy. Yeah. So me and Adam like had an amazing time doing like uh, we did under pressure. We did fat bottom girls. Um, oh no no tie your mother down um, I love that song and I want to break free and all this stuff and yeah it was it was fantastic and then we then afterwards got offered the uh, the dates sort of like six months later or whatever so they were doing under pressure and Taylor would always come into our room you know and chat and we would talk about Queen for hours and hours and uh and I was like, when are we going to do Under Pressure then, mate? You know, because he'd hinted it. You don't ask, you don't get, right? And he was like, well, buddy, you know, if, if you're there on the side of the stage, man, like, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. So, of course, you know, I'm there, side of stage, when they're about to do it. Fingers and then crossed. <laughs> he sees me and then he does this and then he brought me out. And everyone just went bananas for it. And, and Dave loved it. The band loved it. Pat loved it. And I'm walking Were out. Were you nervous at all? Yeah, 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 a little bit, a little bit, because I hadn't rehearsed it, and you know, <laughs> and it's a big. It was in crowd, front of like what, twenty thousand people or something. Yeah, and uh, I'm walking out, and it's in between their encore, so the band walk off stage and they hang out for like two minutes, you know, before they run back on, and I'm walking by, and Dave Grohl runs up to me and he grabs me, he shakes me by the shoulder, and he says, "That was fucking amazing. We got to do that every night." And I was like, "Okay," and we did for like another. Just fucking 20, 30 times every night we, we got up and did Under Pressure and it was just, it was magic every time. One of those memories that you'll take to the grave. Oh, if everything ended tomorrow, <laughs> I could brag about that in my local pub for, you know, a good 15 years. <laughs> Luke, nice one, mate. Thank you for your time. You. Congratulations with everything and um, good luck going forward, man. I'm sure you guys are going to be topping arenas yourselves in no time at all. Keep at it, man. Thank you very much. It's nothing I the feelings you do It's just my heart's not ready yet For somebody new If only this started When love was something new to me I'd never have questioned Rejected what we could have been But when you've been broken Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.